Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Friday, December 21st, and this is your FT News Briefing. Today we'll be looking at the worst December for the S&P 500 since 1931, why the military was called in to deal with chaos at London's Gatwick Airport, and Malaysia targeting Goldman Sachs for reparations over the 1MDB scandal. Then the FT's Amy Williams is here to explain why the U.S. is pulling troops out of Syria and how that move has caused disarray in the Trump administration. I'm Eric Krupke, and here's the news you need to start your day. Hi, I'm Michael McKenzie. I'm the senior investment commentator here at the Financial Times. Thursday was marked by yet further selling of U.S. equities, credit and emerging markets. And this is, represents further fallout from the Federal Reserve's meeting on Wednesday. The mood in markets is very, very glum. Sentiment's really poor. We're currently looking at the worst December for the S&P 500 since 1931. We're actually on target now for the worst quarter performance for Wall Street since the financial crisis of 2008. What's really driving things here is a combination. We've had a very poor year and a lot of investors are throwing in the towel before the end of the year. Many investors are actually, their performance is based on their annual returns. Annual returns are now negative for a number of assets. And we're seeing investors who were hoping for some kind of end of year rally, some kind of reprieve, looking for the Federal Reserve to be uh, sounding a lot more dovish than they actually were to kind of trigger that. We haven't seen that. So what we're seeing here is just further selling and really a rush for the exits before the end of the year. Of course, the other big issue was the threat of a government shutdown. We've been down this road many times. But again, it's, it's the last thing you really need to hear if you're an investor who's kind of not particularly happy with their position heading into the end of the year and just probably wants to get out the door here at the moment. And London's Gatwick Airport was in chaos on Thursday. The airport suspended all flights because drones had been sighted in the area. Police said there were nearly 50 sightings of a drone over 24 hours, some duplicates and some unconfirmed. The military was even called in to detect them and take action. It's the most serious disruption yet at an airport caused by drones. Nighttime restrictions were lifted at all other London airports to ease flight congestion. The travel plans of more than 100,000 passengers were thrown into disarray just ahead of the holidays. 20 units of local police forces spent the day searching for the drone operators. They said there was no indication the incident was terror-related, but they believed the drones were of, quote, industrial specification. And today the FT is reporting on a new development in the long-running 1MDB scandal. Malaysia's finance minister, Lim Guan Eng, told the FT the country wants U.S. investment bank Goldman Sachs to pay $7.5 billion in reparations over its business with the state investment fund. It's a scandal that dates back to 2012. That's when, according to prosecutors, billions of dollars were embezzled from Malaysia's state investment fund known as 1MDB. The U.S. Department of Justice and Malaysia have indicted two former Goldman bankers. They're being charged for misappropriating $2.7 billion from 1MDB bond proceeds to bribe Malaysian officials so Goldman would win business advising the fund. $7.5 billion in reparations is the highest target Malaysia has demanded so far. Last month, Anwar Ibrahim, who is considered the likely future prime minister of Malaysia, demanded reparations in excess of $600 million. 
Finance Minister Lim wants Goldman to pay back the sum of three 1MDB bonds arranged by Goldman in 2012 and 2013, plus $1 billion to cover fees paid to Goldman. In response, Goldman told FT reporters, quote, The 1MDB bond offerings were meant to raise money to benefit Malaysia. Instead, a huge portion of those funds were stolen for the benefit of members of the Malaysian government and their associates. And here's something else we're following. A U.S.-led military coalition has been involved in the Syrian civil war since 2014. They've mostly conducted airstrikes and fought against ISIS militants on the ground, battling against Russia-backed dictator Bashar al-Assad. But on Wednesday, U.S. President Donald Trump said he'd be pulling the U.S. military out of Syria. While some praised the idea, including Russian President Vladimir Putin, others spoke out. Even some in the president's administration thought it was a bad idea. The FT's Amy Williams is here to talk about what the withdrawal might mean and how the U.S. got involved in Syria in the first place. Well, in 2012, former President Barack Obama said the use of chemical weapons by Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad's regime would be the red line for his administration. A red line for us is we start saying a whole bunch of chemical weapons moving around or being utilized. And it would be that that would prompt any U.S. military intervention in the country. In 2013, U.S. intelligence reported the use of chemical weapons inside Syria. It could have been a cocktail of chemicals, not just classic warfare agents like sarin or VX or Soman or Tabin. But it wasn't until 2014 that Obama ordered airstrikes, and notionally they were against ISIS fighters in the region. I can announce that America will lead a broad coalition to roll back this terrorist threat. Troop presence wasn't really established till around 2015, so a few years after the the red line remark. In 2017, Donald Trump also carried out airstrikes in Syria. More than 100 missiles launched from ships and planes, the US, France and the UK all taking part. So it wasn't just an Obama initiative. And what are U.S. troops doing on the ground in Syria? So the U.S. currently mostly has troops in the northeast of the country, and they're fighting alongside Kurdish-dominated Syrian Democratic Force to counter ISIS, the terrorist group, in the region. And what is U.S. President Donald Trump's reasoning for pulling out of Syria? Well, in a tweet on Wednesday, Donald Trump said that ISIS had been defeated and that this was the only reason U.S. troops were in the country. A senior government official later that day said that it was not the U.S.'s role to create a utopian democracy and that countering ISIS was its sole purpose in the region. But apart from this, Trump has had a long-standing desire to pull forces out from Syria. It was a campaign promise of his, and it kind of is coherent with what his critics describe as an isolationist tendency. So he's also threatened to pull troops from allied countries like Japan and South Korea. And this move is coherent with that tendency that he has. And how much truth is there to the claim that ISIS is defeated? What's the state of ISIS in Syria right now? Well, a lot of the U.S.'s military allies, including France and the U.K., suggest that the coalition 
of forces resisting ISIS have made good progress, but that ISIS is not fully vanquished. So the US's own special presidential envoy to this coalition, a top diplomat called Brett McKirk, said only last week that while the end of the physical caliphate in the region was in sight, nobody was yet declaring mission accomplished, and that ISIS according to a Pentagon briefing, still held a small amount of territory in the middle Euphrates Valley. So what are the potential dangers of the U.S. pulling out of the country? Well, critics of the plan, and there have been many uh, over Wednesday and Thursday, say that an absence of U.S. troops leaves Syria open to a resurgence of ISIS. So that work done in beating them back in the region is undone. Syrian dictator Assad gets emboldened without American forces in his country. And US adversaries like Iran and Russia have greater influence in the region, which is counter to US policy. The other criticism is that a withdrawal of US forces leaves Kurdish military allies of the US vulnerable to attack from Turkey which considers them terrorists and has, as recently as last week, warned of a military offensive against them in Syria. Lots of historians and senior former diplomats have said that U.S. presence in the region gives the U.S. leverage when it comes to sitting around the diplomatic table and working out a future for diplomatic relations in the region. And by withdrawing U.S. military presence, the U.S. kind of gives up that leverage. Thank you so much, Kai. I appreciate right. it. No, you're welcome. Uh, good luck with it. Let me know if you need anything else. I okay, will be great. here writing about Mattis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have a little bit of a late night. Yeah, yeah. And late on Thursday, U.S. Defense Secretary Jim Mattis resigned. He said his views weren't aligned with the president's. The news came after reports that the president was also considering withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. We're going to take a week off for the holidays. And hey, if you happen to get a smart speaker as a gift, you can use it to listen to the FT News Briefing every morning. On Google Assistant, just ask to hear the FT News Briefing. And on Amazon Echo, just use the app to set this show as your flash briefing. We'll be back on your smart speaker and podcast apps on Monday, December 31st with a brand new episode. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon, Amy Keene, and me, Eric Krupke. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik. Robert Shrimsley is the editorial director for the Financial Times. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. 
We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.